Good morning and Merry Christmas. As I look out, it's almost as if I can still see the twinkling light of the Christmas Eve candles as they're spreading throughout the sanctuary and we were welcoming Christ's birth into the world. What a gift it was to be able to gather together and spend spend some time in celebration and in thanksgiving. And the good news is we get to continue celebrating. I hope that you and yours had a safe and healthy and joyful Christmas. And I encourage you to continue with your Christmas celebrations because we are in the season known as Christmas Tide, the 12 days of Christmas leading up to Epiphany or that time between Christmas and New Year's when you really don't know what day it is, also, also something to celebrate. Our scripture this morning is from Paul and Timothy's letter to the church in Colossae. This letter was written during one of Paul's many imprisonments after announcing Jesus as the risen Lord. It was to a community that Paul didn't start, nor did he know. The church in Colossae was started by a co-worker of Paul's named Epaphras, who came to visit Paul in prison. Now, I imagine that Epaphras told Paul that things were going pretty well at his church because Paul starts off his letter with a prayer of gratitude for the Colossians and their good faith. But Epaphras also mentioned some of the cultural pressures tempting them to turn away from Jesus, which is why Paul writes this letter of encouragement and instruction. As he continues to pray for the Colossians, he asks that they might grow in their wisdom and understanding of God. And then he drops a little poem in his letter to remind them of the supremacy of Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Some scholars have called this the Messiah poem or a hymn to the Christ. It's in Jesus that the very identity of God is made known. God is bringing about a new creation. Jesus is the head of a new body, the church, and it is through him that God will reconcile all things to God's self. Paul advises the Colossians to remain secure in their faith and to not shift from the hope promised in the Gospels. He challenges them 
to live in the present as part of a new humanity, one rooted and grounded and reconciled with Christ, where there are no longer ethnic, social, or political boundaries of our world, but Christ is all and is in all people. Paul then tells the Colossians what this new humanity might look like. Walter? This morning's scriptures from Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourself with compassion and kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other just as the Lord has forgiven you so you also must forgive. Above all, close yourself with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And with gratitude in your hearts, sing palm, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving him thanks to the Father and through, through him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Walter. Growing up, I was lucky enough to get a new outfit for special occasions, like Christmas, Easter, or back to school. It was much more than just the clothes. Usually my mom, my grandma, and my sister and I would make a day of it. We'd go out to lunch, and then we would spend all afternoon shopping for the outfits. When we were younger, my mom would often dress us, my sister and I, in matching or at least coordinating outfits. But with a four and a half year age difference, I quickly grew out of that. Christmas was always a favorite. On Christmas Eve, we would get dressed up and go to my grandparents for dinner, and then we would go to church, and then we would go back to my grandparents to unwrap gifts, where we'd usually change into some comfy Christmas pajamas. We tend to think a lot about the types of clothes we wear this time of year, from coordinating family outfits for Christmas card photos to matching Christmas jammies to be worn on Christmas Eve and Christmas morning, to picking out something to wear for the holiday office Christmas party, or running to the store last minute to try and find something that fits your child for them to wear at their school holiday concerts. 
Our clothes can say a lot about who we are, what we do, where we are from, and what we value. I was on a plane this fall, and a woman turned and asked me if I was in town for parents' weekends. I gave her a strange look, and I said, um, no. And she said, oh, I just saw your TCU hat and thought that you were a frog parent. No, no, I am not. <laughs> Clothes can help or hinder our work. For example, you won't see a surgeon wearing a firefighter's uniform or a postal worker in Minnesota walking around in a lifeguard's swimsuits and flip-flops. Our, our clothes can be tools to help us function, cleats helping a soccer player dig into the grass as they run around the field, or pockets to hold all the things you need for the day. Clothes can be a distraction, or they can level the playing field when everyone is wearing the same uniform. What we wear can help us feel confident or self-conscious. To some, clothes are a creative form of self-expression. And for others, they are just a functional necessity that they throw on without much thought. By just looking at someone, you might be able to tell what school they go to, what band they like, their favorite sports team, where they like to shop, and what they do for a living. What we wear can easily help us identify someone in a crowd, like a crossing guard or someone from home. I still remember the first time I saw, at that time, our new custodian, Willie Johnson, wearing a University of Illinois hat and t-shirt. And I walked up to Willie and I said, Willie, are you a U of I fan? And he said, JV, I was born and raised in Champaign and I worked there for 30 years. And I said, Willie, I grew up in Danville, which is just down the road from Champaign. My parents, my family, they still live there. And just like that, Willie and I formed an instant connection. In fact, he tells me that whenever he goes home to Champaign, he waves at Danville for me. Our clothes can be unifiers but they can just as easily divide us. In her book, Wearing God, Dr. Lauren Winter shares a story about her experience at a women's prison in North Carolina. One semester, she was teaching a class at the prison, a class comprised of inmates and students from Duke Divinity School. She describes the sessions as just a group of women discussing the topic at hand, everyone having something different and important to contribute as they learn from one another. She said that if a stranger would walk into the room, 
they wouldn't know who was a graduate student and who was a student enrolled through the prison. During each class session, a guard would walk in, do a head count, and exit. It was such a routine event that no one usually even acknowledged him, and sometimes they didn't even realize that the head count had taken place. Until one afternoon, when the count wasn't right, and they immediately went into lockdown. They kept counting and counting, and it wasn't adding up, and other inmates were being instructed over the intercom to return back to their cells. And after several counts, none equaling the correct number, one of the inmates pointed out that one of the dookies was wearing a sea foam-colored sweater that was almost the exact same color as their prison uniform. Even though it appeared to be an inclusive, unbiased, equal group of students in the eyes of their professor, in that moment, the inmates reminded the dookies that that wasn't their experience. Clothes can also mark life changes and transitions. At graduation, the graduates don caps and gowns. Brides and grooms put on something special to wear at their wedding. And even ordination into Christian ministry is marked with special clothing. The newly ordained often receives a robe and a stole to help identify this new role. If we look at the global impact of our clothing, it's quite alarming. 2.4 trillion dollars was the estimated worth of the global fashion industry in 2016. 73% of the world's clothing ends up in landfills. 660 million dollars worth of used clothes were exported from the U.S. to other nations in 2018. In the United States, about 85% of garment workers do not earn the minimum wage and are instead paid a piece rate of between two to six cents per item. Most garment workers work 60 to 70 hour weeks with the take-home pay of about $300. That's about $5 an hour or less. The garments we wear are transforming our planet and directly impacting the lives of our neighbors both here and abroad. Now, I have a confession. This past week, instead of working on my very long to-do list or sleeping, I was up late one night scrolling through my phone, and it hit me. Oh my gosh, what am I going to wear on Christmas Eve? Now keep in mind, 
that most of the day would be spent with me wearing a clergy robe and helping lead worship. So I did what any rational person does at 12.27 a.m., and I texted Reverend Moore and I asked him what he was going to wear. He, he didn't respond. And so the next morning, I looked into my closet, which was literally overflowing with clothes, and I stood there and I said, I have nothing to wear on Christmas Eve when it's going to be 80 degrees in Texas. So on my way to the church, on December the 23rd, I made the poor decision to stop by University Park Village down the street with the hope of finding something special. Now, as you can imagine, the parking lot was pretty chaotic. People were honking their horns, multiple vehicles were waiting in line just to get that one parking spot. Pedestrians were trying their hardest not to get hit as they walked back to their cars. As I drove around, I felt my anxiety amplifying in my chest. I honked at a couple of cars who almost hit me when backing out, and I, the longer I wove in and out of the aisles trying to find a place to park, my patience shortened and my anger increased. I pulled to a stop sign, and just when I started to go, an SUV flew around the corner, cut me off, and pulled out in front of me. I was about to yell something that was not loving in any type of definition when I caught myself, stopped my car, and it was as if God said, Jessica, you are focusing on the wrong clothes. Jesus' birth is a fundamental shift in the way things are. Christ came into the world as a baby, clothed in meekness and humility, and placed in a feeding trough relying on the compassion, kindness, humility, and patience of others as he grew up. God has turned the world upside down and invites us to be part of what happens next. Compassion. Kindness. Humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness, love. What will you choose to wear in the new year?